It's episode 15 of the Think Data podcast in partnership with DataWorks. On today's shows, we welcome Serena Huang, the founder of Data with Serena and the chief data officer at Abe. Serena has worked for the likes of PayPal, Kraft Heinz and GE within People Analytics and has recently joined LinkedIn as a course instructor. Um, really pleased to welcome you to the show today. And I know we've uh, had kind of a brief exchange beforehand and what drew me to you was obviously a your kind of evident presence on LinkedIn, but equally um, your presence within this kind of talent and people analytics piece. So would you mind kind of giving us a bit of a background to you and what inevitably brought you to Abe? Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, Alex. It's a pleasure to be on and get the chance to share a little bit of my journey. Um, I, I started in people analytics many years ago when it wasn't very popular. And <laughs> I would say people analytics found me rather than I found people analytics. Um, I was still in consulting at the time when GE had reached out and said they were building HR analytics, what it was called at the time, function and wanted me to join as part of the initial um, organization. And I thought, wow, these two words don't go together. When you think of HR, you don't think of data analytics. And I had zero background in HR, so this can't possibly be be, um, be a good idea. Um, but they were so interested in implementing a workforce strategy based on data analytics. And they told me, we will teach you the HR side of things if you just bring the quantitative expertise and as long as you have passion for people, which I did. Um, so that's how I got started in people analytics and since then have been building up functions from the ground up uh, at numerous companies, including Kraft Heinz and, and, and PayPal most recently. Um, and as I ponder what I wanted to do next, like many people I'm sure did in the pandemic, um, I had already had five global head of people analytics roles at this point. And certainly I could do another one somewhere else um, or go on to become um, you know, chief people officer somewhere, but neither path sounded very good to me. <laughs> and, <laughs> I looked at uh, my skill set, and skills is another topic I talk a lot about. Um, I wonder what I could, you know, what I could do to to really live my purpose. And my purpose is to make the world love data like I do. So mm. data with Serena is short for learn to love data with Serena. And, and that's how I found that uh, my own company. Um, um, and then I started to go on this data with Serena tour, sort of almost as a joke, because uh, I wanted to meet my followers. And I thought, you know, if I go on a tour, I can meet people. And I thought no one was going to show up. Surprisingly, uh, it sort of turned into a thing. And uh, I met up with um, the founder of Abe.org in uh, Miami area over, over uh, last Thanksgiving. And it sort of turned into a more serious conversation about me joining Abe as a chief data officer. So um, yeah, and so I thought about you know, what could I bring to the world that I also love doing? And one is building product. Um, mm. Something I don't share a ton with people is uh, you know, one, one of the toughest jobs I've had as a global head of people analytics was when I was at uh, Coke Industries for a couple of years, we were building out an HCM from scratch, a human 
capital um, you know, system, instead of mm. buying something off the shelf, we had a team of 200 people that were building out different modules. And I got a chance to build out the people analytics module um, of a you know, cloud HCM. So it was super cool. And I wanted to have a chance to continue to build products. So this turns out to be perfect. And I get to apply my people analytics expertise and also build product and see it come to life. Um, and we're now building a community um, on Abe. So if anyone wants to join, we're hosting free webinars so that we can teach you how to find a job and learn about yourself in an authentic way. Um, that's mm. what Abe is all about. It's uh, you know, it's think think of it as um, honest Abe. <laughs> so we want yeah. our members to be honest with ourselves in the job search process, like how I was in searching for what is next for me. Fascinating. I know obviously these uh I suppose these lines are quite parallel with the areas we operate in. I think we've talked uh, previously about people go on, they conduct their job search, they conduct their interview process, they go through the onboarding, and then there's that kind of unfortunate light bulb moment where they think, yeah. oh, the stars aren't aligning here. And that's when obviously retention and um, right. people, attrition uh, issues become ever so apparent. So would you say that kind of starts and ends with that kind of, the initial requirements for this person as opposed to what the job is they're trying to fill. It's more around actually what type of person do we need to kind of fulfill this kind of duty. I think it's a matching problem, right? So it's mm. both sides. Um, I, I would call this almost a professional catfishing <laughs> problem is <laughs> yeah. what we are trying to solve at Abe. Um, you know, if you think about going on a job interview, you want to be at your best, right? You want to show up as your best self um, because you need a job, right? And the, yeah. on the employer side, they want to show up as their best self as well. They want to show you what kind of awards they have won, what amazing culture they have. They're not going to tell you about the problematic managers that they have in, in, in the organization. And you're not going to show all your flaws on, on this job interview. It's like a first date, right? Yeah. And then so fast forward to you accepted the job, you show up to your you know your company on day one this is where people kind of you know that's when you get married right like so mm. you really get to know each other the makeup comes off the shoes come off and you see the real person <laughs> and sometimes mm -hmm. it's great just like the interview process just like when you're dating no surprises oftentimes there are surprises on both ends so the employer thought wow i i didn't know this about you and then you also find out something maybe an unpleasant surprise about the company in terms of their culture and how things really work so um so i think part of that of course there's many ways to make the interview process better but if I go back to my own journey, how it started is, and also the, the numerous data analytics professionals I've hired over time, a lot of it comes from lack of authenticity and honesty with ourselves as candidates, and then lack of honesty and authenticity on the company, on the employer side, because they want to attract the best talent. So I would say, you know, it's not that anyone has ill intentions along the no. way. We all want to be our best, look our best, and get the best job possible. And so do the hiring managers. But through this process, somehow we come across as not 100% honest um, and, and then ended up with a bad match. 
and mm. that match happens as you know i talked to a lot of data analytics professionals and they will tell me within about three months i knew i was going to leave that job i knew it's mm. a bad match 90 days is all i need to figure out what's real with the culture whether or not i see myself here longer term and then within six months i'm putting together my resume again and um, i'm out searching for the next job so um, so I think, you know, the mismatch and that uncovering what is true happens really quickly once someone starts yeah. on the job. But how can we save companies time and the candidates as well from this poor experience so that they don't have to show up to work and then suddenly very quickly have to find another job because it's a poor match. Um, and I think that starts with authenticity on both sides. So, yeah. um, so this is an ambitious goal, right? Like you don't start a uh, startup without uh, solving serious problems yes. and having a dream that it's going to work. Uh, of course, I think the data analytics problem and I'm building an algorithm to do the matching based on authenticity. So it's both a assessment on the employee side, on the candidate side first to be authentic yeah. with yourself. And then uh, a matching process that will only give the companies uh, what we will call you know authentic matches, really honest matches. So um, and vice versa. I think I think there's um, there are just things that you may not want to tell the world, but it's really important to you. Let's say remote work, right? Is really flexibility is really mm. important to you, um, and you really don't want to check your email after six p.m. You're probably not going to blast that in your interview initially. <laughs> <laughs> because you know this day and age there's some expectation for most professional workers that um you know sometimes it's not strict nine to five but yeah. how can you how can you share that information in a safe way where you are matched with an employer that will meet your needs um mm. Provide you the growth opportunities longer term, um, and and also I was just thinking about this for a lot of people who may only want to work for a company for a year. Maybe a year is all they want to stay. Can mm. they find a way to honestly share that information without? without you know costing them the job offer in the first place um, because if, if i were to say that out loud as a candidate i probably wouldn't get a job offer at all <laughs> i probably yeah. wouldn't even make it to the next round um but there are some companies that are you know growing quickly their needs are changing quickly on an annual basis where this might be perfect you're fresh out of school you want to spend a year with us and then next year we know we're going to pivot to a different company that may or may not be serving your needs anymore. So we say goodbye, but you'll learn a lot and I get what I need to grow my company this year. Um, but no one is able to have that conversation honestly today. So that's the problem we really want to try to solve. I think it's a huge problem and you're right in your uh, assessment. If you're not trying to solve the big problems, then you know, you're always going to fall short. And I do think certainly from someone who works in talent itself, you obviously get the the window dressing to a company, the glass yes. door, the social media feeds, the brand, yeah. and they, they only will ever say the good things. And that's natural. And we look at resumes, we look at LinkedIn profiles. Equally, it will only show the the key results and successes as opposed to what you say there is like, well, actually, I'm not as keen about this, or actually, I've got some slight concerns about this. And I think, yeah, bringing them all onto into one assessment platform, which effectively matches people up based on criteria outside of what is the job and what is the company, I think is 
really interesting. I think initially what drew me to you was obviously your uh, very active around kind of personal brand. And we've had a lot of episodes previously here um, that are talking about trying to transition into or breaking into a new area within analytics. And a lot of the people we've spoken to, especially in the market we find ourselves now where the competition is really high, yeah. demand is slightly low. It, it starts and ends with that personal brand, you know, making sure you're being proactive, you know, the networking piece, which is obviously you're a huge advocate of. But what advice would you kind of offer someone who maybe is new on the job market, maybe it's their first time looking for work when it comes to creating kind of a personal brand? Because some people look at branding and I think, oh, you know, that's a marketing thing. That's not a data thing. But I'm seeing now with LinkedIn and these different channels, it is becoming a thing. So, so what advice would you yeah. offer up people who are unsure kind of where to start really? Yeah, I, I would recommend getting started before you need it. Um, it takes a mm. long time to build a brand. And um, if you look back, uh, I started creating content several years ago and I started because I wanted to talk to people. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, despite my quantitative PhD, I'm um, a very social person, actually. <laughs> and, and I felt like I was on an island because people analytics was so niche and there was just no one to talk to within the company. So I got on social media and basically was asking, hey, is anybody out there? I'm doing this thing. Give me some feedback. And and it sort of, sort of snowballed. Now, I think we have now missed that window. You can't be getting started on social media today right it's um Mm -hmm. there are lots of very established platforms so how do you stand out in the competition um is is really important and and i think if you think about building a personal brand the first question you want to ask yourself is why do i want to build a personal brand Mm -hmm. what is the purpose of this do you want to be a thought leader do you want to get more business do you want to get job offers and um, and once you have a personal brand, it can it can pay dividends in ways that um, that you can't even imagine. Like it it it's come to me in so many opportunities that I never thought was possible. So I'm mm. definitely an advocate. Um, I think the you know getting started piece can be scary. So um, I I would say just get started and maybe find people who can support you as well as you are starting to uh, create content. Now, create content, what does that even mean, right? Uh, mm. I now have a YouTube channel, but I didn't before. So um, so creating content could be as simple as uh, resharing someone's article, resharing some, something you read and say, I really thought, you know, X, Y, and Z uh, resonated with me. That's all you need to do. And, mm. and something that I've started to do is uh, because I want to build a community and it's really important to me I wanted to create conversations I don't just want to like I no longer care about the views and the likes I want people to actually engage by saying something about what I'm sharing if I can get them to open up and talk especially on the uncomfortable topics like mental health at work then I've succeeded so now you know again I've evolved um, in my goal as a content creator in building my personal brand. So right now it's a lot about creating, encouraging, courageous conversations, I call them. 
uh, yeah. online on critical topics that we should not avoid to reduce stigma, uh, to you know promote minorities, whatever it is that's really uncomfortable but needs to be said. I'm here for it. Um, I would say because people ask me this all the time, and uh, one of the questions people people ask me is how do I create content or build my personal brand without making my manager uncomfortable? <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, that's fair. Um, and this is a real question, right? So certainly if you're within a, you know, a large corporation, you are representing, like it or not, you're representing their employer brand. You're representing mm -hmm. the company's brand. Anything you say and do, Despite your disclaimer of, you know, all opinions are mine, not my employers. It doesn't matter. You are still representing them. So you want to make sure your employer, number one, comes across as positive, no matter what you say. I think that's really yeah. important. Um, and so that doesn't mean you have to promote everything that your company is doing. You should always have your own opinions. Um, but that does mean if you are going to go out there and blast your manager for doing a poor job, it's probably going to come back to bite you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you <laughs> Don't know, do that. <laughs> right? So that's very basic. So we'll take it to a step further on something more complex, social justice as a, uh, as a conversation. Some companies have very firm stance on where they stand, right? Uh, ESG issues. Some companies have very strong statements about what they want to do and what they don't want to say. So mm. if you're saying something in contrary, 100% on the other's backdrop of your company, again, just think about it before you post. I think those are, you know, those are a little bit tricky. Um, and the other piece I'll say is it depends on how how big of a brand you already have, right? What yeah. I share today, because I own my own company and I'm not tied to a corporate brand anymore, is very different from what I was said three to five years ago, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and certainly if, you know, you think uh, the job market is tough and you want to make sure you're appealing to large number of employers, you want to make sure that, you know, for, for your dream employers, you are not saying something that's completely not aligned with their values. So I don't think anyone thinks about this before they create content. And it's only upon reflection and experience in coaching people on their personal brand on LinkedIn um, that I've been able to come up with these really simple steps uh, to hopefully help your listeners um, how to get started in a productive way that will elevate your brand and not uh, instead hurt you. Yeah, well, there's some really good uh, some tips and advice. And what I'll do is I'll make sure I kind of paraphrase some of these points in the in the comments when we release the episode. But it's, uh, I think, more than ever. And I think I was back in the, uh, the, the old days where LinkedIn wasn't a thing. I think 20 right. years ago it came out and everyone looked at it and thought, oh, what is this? And no one was really sure of the platform and the power it wields is is fantastic and equally it needs to be i like your point about positive uh opinions you know you can still challenge the status quo but still having a positive outlook because linkedin unfortunately sometimes does you know bear the uh, the hallmarks it's it's a bit of doom and gloom at points and i think if you want to go there and you know be positive then i think that's that's, that's some really good advice and i think one thing i've i've looked at really interesting about your background was obviously people analytics and you touched on it right at the beginning how niche and how um 
you know, it, it wasn't that common in companies to invest in a dedicated people analytics function. Why do you think people like PayPal, GE, Kraft, Koch, you know, they all looked at people analytics and actually had a dedicated head of? And, and why do you think they did that? And what, why was it such an important part of their wider talent piece? Yeah, I would say much like marketing analytics, you know, 20 years ago wasn't that important <laughs> to sales. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's very similar. Maybe 10 years ago, companies started to realize that if we're going to say human capital, talent, people, employees are our most important asset, then we should have some sort of data on this, right? Our mm. most important asset. And, and when companies are getting started, I kid you not, there's lots of companies who have no idea how many employees they have at any given time. You're probably wondering, how is that even possible? Well, it actually gets very complicated, right? So, so yes. what is an employee? Is a contractor an employee? Is a part-time person cleaning um, an employee? Is a part-time person gardening outside an employee? Right? All this is a security guard uh, hired through a third-party company, an employee. What is mm. an employee? How do you count the part-time folks, right? And so it gets very complicated. What about people on leave? So, so all of these things, you know, each person obviously uh, costs the company money. So you want to make sure that there's a way to account for this really important asset and figure out how you can make sure they are creating value for the company. Mm. So, so I think companies started to realize that several years ago and, and also notice there's no data analytics on any of this. Surely, if we can figure out how to predict customer churn, we can apply similar logic to predict employee churn. And turns out they're very similar models uh, in, in yeah. machine learning. Um, and, and actually more complicated in a way where employee data is very sensitive. So there's a lot of data that you can get on customers easily on their behaviors that you are not legally allowed to gather on employees. So, um, oh, so it almost makes it more difficult, right? So think about um, things like marital status, right? Whether or not someone has children, arguably those are factors that would impact someone's you know ease of moving from one job to another from one location mm. to another right uh, you don't want to move uh, if you have children and it's at the middle of the school year naturally every parent understands that but can i get that data and use it in a model your legal team will probably say no so um and and not to mention the data quality is really poor a lot of times because of a lack of investment for decades on employee data so the governance i often find myself standing up a whole governance framework when i get to a place um and and it's a novel concept but it's not going to be novel to other data analytics teams but it's sort of because of the sensitivity no one sees it and touches it and you don't even know how bad the quality is until someone yeah. like me comes along and opens up the hood <laughs> and <laughs> and then so it takes time to get the the uh, cleaning clue 
crew in place for yeah. people data to get it to good shape before even advanced analytics can be applied. So, um, so you know, I think people analytics is definitely growing up quickly. Mm. Um, and I remember years ago, I, I was able to get like one data science intern. I was so excited. And, you know, fast forward years later, I will have a team of, you know, 20 plus with dedicated data engineers, dedicated data scientists, you know, dedicated researchers, dedicated consultants, um, and and they're all, you know, well-versed in people uh, and some, you know, org psychology and things like that because it's unique. Um, and and I think that's fast growth in, uh, in the past five to 10 years. Um, does it have a long way to go? Absolutely. Mm. Um, so yeah, you know, I think anyone who wants to get started in people analytics, think of it as easy as how to apply data analytics to make better decisions when it comes to your people. That, that's it. So, uh, and however you define people, it could be employees, could be contractors, <laughs> um, but this is your most important asset at work. And and I think we, um, we're getting finally very serious about it. And it's so, so encouraging for me, for me to see as someone who started early on. Yeah, no, I really, I really like that. And I think the, uh, my, perception and this could be a kind of a misconception is this people analytics focus is typically uh saved for larger organizations but i'm all right in thinking that for you obviously somebody who's so passionate about this space the sooner you embed this kind of data-driven culture at every touch point in the organization people coming in people coming out and what they're doing whilst they're gainfully employed do you think organizations need to address this before they make their hires? Because the conversations we have when people leave, they go, oh, I can't believe they've left. And it normally boils down to something which has happened during the process, during the interview process. Hence why yeah. I think Abe's a fascinating product, because hopefully that will mitigate that dropout rate. But yeah, at what point do you think companies should look at people, HR and talent analytics? Um, and is that reserved typically for larger companies or do you think any everyone should be involved? I think everyone should look at it. <laughs> um, yeah. But obviously, if you're a startup and there's only two of you, probably not yet. Um, mm. um, I don't have a magic number, but I would say somewhere between 50 to 100, you want to start thinking about tracking some sort of metrics and, yeah. and having some sort of process in place to make sure data is good quality and you're not manually entering people's exits and things like that. Yeah. Um, definitely, I would say definitely 200 plus. It's a, it's a worthwhile investment. It could even be a fractional people analytics person or someone who is good at data analytics and has passion for people. There's so many online resources out there. Uh, you know, Certainly welcome to check out my course on people analytics yep. on LinkedIn. Um, yep. It's just one hour and gives you really practical ways to get started. How do I think about how do I track and improve retention? Um, how do I measure and improve employee experience? Those things don't, you know, you don't have to wait until you're a thousand people organization for that mm -hmm. to matter. Because um, guess what? When you are only 200, when you lose one person, 
it hurts a lot. It a lot versus more, yeah. more 20,000 people, okay? <laughs> so, <laughs> so the impact is almost, uh, you know, it's, it's almost um, a lot bigger. So it might even be more worthwhile. But granted that a lot of people at that stage in a company need to wear multiple hats. So find the people who are happy to wear multiple hats like myself. <laughs> For example, mm. I love wearing multiple hats. I don't like to be in a box. And, and give them a fun project to do on how do we improve retention? How do we even measure it? How do we make sure we have a process um, to, you know, to even capture some of this data? How do we know beforehand? I think the power of data analytics is not the backward looking how many people left, why did they leave, but in the forward looking, more proactive type of analytics, right? Um, you know, would you pay more to know who is going to leave or how many people have left, Alex? Yeah. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, you know, you want to see point. what's coming as opposed to what happened. Um, but without gathering some data, you can't use anything to predict what's going to happen. So I think thinking longer term, too, um, maybe if you're just getting started, don't expect a being able to build a model right away. Um, yeah. You need to invest some time in gathering the data. And, and I think um, there's certainly common sense that you can apply, uh, such as toxic environment make people want to leave and maybe that's something you want to measure i think this is where i really value the researchers that i've had on my team and mm. reading what is externally available whether it's uh you know mit sloan review has really good articles on on these type of topics hbr with practical cases from other companies but don't take it as gospel right because that's their mm. employees that's not your employees and your employees are different um so figure what hypothesis you want to take uh you want to test and maybe it's we now need to start measuring uh whether we have toxic managers um that could be something or uh you know on the other hand maybe your hypothesis is empathy and compassion are really important right now how do you measure empathy and compassion in managers right <laughs> that's a uh, that's a tough one we know it's important but I don't think anyone can raise their hand and say, yes, I know exactly how empathetic and how compassionate all of my managers are at all times. If you have, yeah. please give me a call. I'm dying to know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, you know, things like this where you can find signals in the organization to tell you how things are going. Um, but you need to really have a thoughtful process and, um, and, and figure out what problem you need to solve. Um, the other piece I'll say is recruiting is really important, right? So again, mm -hmm. not just on the leaving side, you know, once people leave, when you make the right hire, it makes such a difference. When you make the wrong hire, it's very costly for everyone, yeah. both financially and emotionally, right? For the manager, for everyone on the team, it becomes very painful once you make a bad match. So how do you make sure you are getting the right people in? That's a people analytics problem, right? Yeah. Whether it's um, figuring out the from the past experience, how you have made successful hires, how that is different from unsuccessful hires, right? That could be a simple analysis. Um, and then figure out what variables made it better and worse so that you can tweak it along the way. Maybe it's an onboarding process. Maybe it's the interview questions. Who knows? But if you don't, if you don't do the analysis, you will never know. You will just continue to operate in the same way. So, so I think 
you know, they, they say what the most uh, expensive words in business is, this is how we've always done it. And yeah, so true. people analytics professionals to help the company rethink on a very regular basis using data so that we don't get trapped and this is how we have always done it. Yeah, well, look, I think it's some superb advice. And I know a lot of our, our listeners are our managers, heads of talent professionals, HR professionals who regularly ask, you know, us to go and find people. But yeah. quite often, more than often than not, actually will then be surprised when someone doesn't work out. And fundamentally, it's because internally there isn't those stringent processes to right. understand, as you said, trying to predict why would someone leave as opposed to why is someone left. It's a, it's a really nice mindset shift. And uh, what I will do is I will make sure I tag into the comments some of your LinkedIn um, okay. learning people analytics because it's their whole course. Well, it's an hours course on people analytics fundamentally, isn't it? How to implement that it's, into a company. Yeah, it's called the data science of using people analytics. And it's a, it's a very practical course from, from the feedback I've gotten. So, um, yeah, approaching, gosh, approaching 10,000 learners. So Wow, that's fantastic. And uh, I'll also tag the other resources you, you put in there. But I think you've been really refreshing talking to you because I think I'm passionate kind of talent person and people person. But actually to what you said makes so much sense. But it's amazing how often companies don't make it make sense right <laughs> right and it doesn't have to be difficult i think you know once no. you find a problem to solve um there's there's not as much quote-unquote big data in mm. people analytics is usually smaller which comes with a whole different set of challenges um but that's you know that's perhaps the plus side where you don't quite need a data scientist right out of the gate to do a meaningful analysis to make an impact on the business yeah well uh, thanks so much for your time serena i really really enjoyed the discussion thank you likewise thanks so, thanks much. so much for having me alex my pleasure Thank you.